This is Talking Business. I'm joined now by Carly Sackers, who's the Chief Insights Officer at Icentia. Uh, good day, Carly. Hi, Alan. How are you? Um, very well. Um, Icentia, just to get it clear, is used to be media monitors. Uh, now it serves, provides media monitoring services, but a broader range of uh, services than it used to, perhaps. Absolutely. To Absolutely. We've grown from a media intelligence firm to really supplying more sophisticated insights and research uh, products and services throughout Asia and Australia and New Zealand. So, yeah, lots of new products. And today we want to talk about this uh, leadership survey, leadership through crisis survey that you've been doing. You've done three or four of them. This is, is the third right? edition the third of that, the Leadership Index, yes. Um, and uh, this one, uh, you're focusing on four individuals, so let's just go through them. Um, but possibly better, better, give us a bit of background on the survey in the past. What are the first? What were the first two about? We started to be very interested in leadership, how that comes across in media. How, do the, how does the media in Australia and New Zealand portray our leaders? So the first edition really looked at our top 150 companies in Australia and New Zealand. How, uh, who was our top CEO in terms of how they communicate, their media presence, their employee engagement, and their, their financial performance. And who was it? Andrew McKenzie from BHP. So he really does, he has about over 40% of BHP's media coverage is driven by McKenzie. He's front and centre of their media profile and is incredibly strong at delivering key messages for their business. Right. What was number two? Uh, number so the second leadership index we looked at, we really wanted to compare how our corporate leaders communicate and how they're portrayed up against this new type of leadership. The, the Mike Cannon-Brooks from Atlassian, the Jack Mars from Alibaba, Anthony Tan from Grab. There are some, there's a new- You mean disruptors. Disruptors. So there's a new version of leadership coming up, more charismatic, uh, taking more risks with media, taking more risks with social media in particular. So the second edition really fleshed out the differences on how disruptive leaders connect with audiences, build audiences. What's the difference? They use Twitter. They use they use Facebook. They use their social media to really craft their own messages. You reckon that you'd think that the um, the traditional CEOs would catch on to this? Some are, some are. So you see, McKenzie uh, is is present, uh, but I think I haven't so, seen him on Twitter much. Uh, he does. They do put him front and center of the the BHP corporate account on I Twitter. Bet he does. I bet he doesn't write them. I don't think so either. Donald Trump writes his tweets. Absolutely. And that's something that we've called out, that he's such a divisive, interesting leader. He's doing everything that we're told to do in communications, be genuine, build an audience directly through social. It's interesting consequences, though. Yeah. Do you think Donald Trump, I mean, just to dwell on this before we get on the latest survey, do you think he's providing lessons for corporate CEOs as to how to uh, how to communicate? To an extent, I think, and the, the key here is to be authentic. Uh, if we're not advocating for every CEO to jump on Twitter, if that's not part of your strategy, if that's not part of where your business is going, and if it's not a natural uh, leadership trait for your CEO, we're not saying put, to push that out. We're saying find what works and to build a connect. Because half the time they make a goose of themselves, probably. Absolutely, absolutely. We do call out, you know, Telstra's Andy Penn. I think I think he does, or his team do a fantastic job with the way that he he positions himself on LinkedIn. So he is very active. He comes across as uh, 
an authentic leader that cares about his employees. And that's consistent, clear communication across a, a, a long period of time. So in your latest one, looking at leading through crisis, you looked at four particular CEOs and how they dealt with their crises. Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, Rugby Australia's Raylene Castle, and that was the um, Israel Folau crisis. Um, Dennis Mullenberg of Boeing, and that's presumably the um, 737 MAX crisis. That's right. And uh, Jacinda Ardern, New Zealand Prime Minister, presumably the Christchurch shooting. That's right. Right. That's right. So, um, I mean, before we get into each of them, what's the overall picture that you learnt from that? In a nutshell, we want to know who you are before a crisis. We want to know who you are. We want to know what's authentic to you as a leader. And you, when are the you worst saying happens, that the crisis is too late? To, yes, yes. Right, you've, got to, you've got to show people who you are before the crisis. Absolutely. It, it, it actually is very advantage. It's a big advantage if, if you've shown us who you are before a crisis. When a crisis hits, we want to believe you. So believability is huge. And we have a, a recipe really that a crisis requires firm, fast, believable action. And if one of those ingredients is missing from your response, there will be consequences. When you look at a Dern, her response was firm, it was fast and it was believable and there was action. So we we've found some really interesting interesting clues to how to get your leadership and how to get your business through a crisis by four very different case studies. I think we all know that Jacinda Ardern was all those things you said. Uh, we saw it. But uh, what about the other three, Zuckerberg, Castle, and Mullenberg, Muhlenberg, were they um, believable in each case or not? If anyone, Where do they fall short? Zuckerberg falls short on believability. So his language was there uh, after the Cambridge Analytica story broke in 2018. His language was saying that he owned it, right? He was showing up physically, but when you look at the imagery and the words that he used in front of the US Senate, he hadn't shown up physically and emotionally. He just wasn't really uh, providing us with a natural and authentic uh, way to, to lead through that crisis. The number you wonder whether it was just the way he is, actually. I mean, that, that he never shows up. Right. And that has come through when we've been launching this around Australia in the last few weeks, that perhaps that was natural. Uh, what we found, the single biggest criticism of Zuckerberg in, in the media is that he has failed to acknowledge the evolution of his business. So he doesn't acknowledge the power that Facebook has. And that failure to adapt and acknowledge that power and his failure to evolve as a leader with that growth is something that has been picked up by the public. And you can see that the memes and the jokes that are made around his awkward and robotic nature when he's in front of the Senate and the fact that that's not really a natural setting for him is the underlying point to that is that he really isn't believable and hasn't grown up with the business. Um, And how do you think Raylene Castle um, dealt with or handled the Israel Folau issue? Look, this is an interesting one, and our research showed that 40% of all coverage on on Castle through that time was favourable for her leadership. And And the themes that come around her leadership are that she was inclusive, decisive, and strategic. So she, she Does that fed, mean that 60% was unfavourable? No, no, that was just that, that she was commended specifically because of the way she was leading it. And I think that her response time, it was three hours. Rugby Australia responded within three hours of, of the Instagram post going up. It was a very swift response. And they've used clear and consistent, concise language throughout the whole 
whole uh, the whole media coverage of it, which we find has worked very well in their favour. The other thing that Rugby Australia did very, very well is put a time on Falau to come back. So they came out in three hours and said, we need a response in 48 hours. And this time-bound, uh, very response-driven response approach actually helps media and it helps to reassure the public that they're on the front foot. But it's dragged on for them now. So how I mean, how do you think they're handling the dragging on of it? There has been some criticism that the, that, that drag could have been alleviated in some aspects. There actually has been from, from some quarters that has happened. This will drag right through it to 2020. What about you? Do you criticise them for that? For the way they've handled it? No, I think this issue has twisted and turned. We've, we've counted 97,000 media stories on this issue and I think... 97,000? 97,000. Good God. In one day uh, on the, when both parties met for mediation at the Fair Work Commission there were 6,700 broadcast news stories on that day. So she's under intense media spotlight and I think that when you're up for this... Bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> when you're under that scrutiny, clear, consistent language is the key. And one thing we've highlighted in our research that they've not taken on religious freedoms as an issue. They're really treating this as a singular employee breach. And when you look at the language she has used throughout the whole thing, it hasn't changed. Yeah, but everyone else is seeing it as a religious freedom issue. Because that, yes, and that's what we've highlighted too. And that's the problem for her, I guess. It's really a problem with a risk for all organisations. There's going to be a lot of cases like this where a conflict occurs between a company's stated values or their policies and social media rights of, of, of employees. This will come up time and time again. And I think that's what we're, we're saying with the research is use this as a learning case. Use this to make sure that your contracts, that your media policies, your cultural values are stated and understood by all your employees. Hmm. Because it is a bubbling problem that I think all organisations could be at risk from from having to go through. My, my, with Boeing, my impression was that they took a while to uh, to deal with that properly. That I, they were they were slow. Is I, that right? I couldn't agree more. The first time we saw a in depth response from their CEO Dennis Millenberg was twenty six days after the second aeroplane crash. Now, that's far too long. When you think about uh, five days it took for Facebook, three hours for Rugby Australia, uh, two hours and 40 minutes for a Dern, 26 days after a second incident is way too long. Well, in fact, he was, they were not even uh, kind of acknowledging to begin with that there was a problem with the planes. And they eventually did, right? They eventually did. What we've... It's been encouraging to see their whole way of communicating through this crisis has evolved. They're now using uh, much more empathy, much more acknowledgement of of their role, and they have changed the way that, that, that they're dealing with it. At the start, they were very evasive, very defensive, and were absent. Uh, and we, we need our leaders to, to show up. We need them to show up physically and emotionally, and that that didn't happen with Boeing. And I think but is, the, is the way that they've fixed it or dealt with it since then, uh, as you say, does that overcome their failures to begin with? No. Once all four case studies show that that first 48 hours sets up the narrative and it's incredibly difficult to rewrite the narrative once the media have got that lens. It, it's very hard to correct. Well, there you are, everybody. We've had a fantastic lesson in all that stuff from Carly Sackers, who is the Chief Insights Officer at Icentia. Thanks very much, Carly. Thank you.